There's a lot that um, could be unpacked with this passage. Uh, I think if we, even if we just look at it as uh, a surface level thing, right? We just read the words, we hear about the miracle. The miracle itself is incredible enough, right? Jesus takes all this water and he turns it into wine. Just to spend time thinking about that, as I was reading it, I was thinking about being one of the servants and, you know, he says, fill it with water. And it's like, don't you know they're out of wine? They're not out of water. Uh, and yet he takes the water and he turns it into this incredible amount. Like that, that on its own is amazing to just, you, a person could sit for an hour maybe, just sort of pondering, wow. But, but there's, there's, even more, there's even more to it, in fact, uh, that if, if we look beneath the surface of the reading and maybe do a little bit of, a little bit of hard work to, to study what is going on here, there's even more to it than what meets the eye. It's even more amazing. Maybe instead of sitting for one hour thinking about it, you could think about it for at least two hours. You know, like, it's, it's just amazing. Because, so... There's, there's something in the miracle that's amazing, but in the passage, there's something that's almost distracting, right? Uh, that, that catches our attention, and that is Jesus' response to Mary, right? She comes, and it's like they've run short, and, and he says, right, this, this strange woman, how does your concern affect me, right? And if, if we read it with our 21st century ears, we can read it as though Jesus is belittling his mother, right? Like, woman, what? I don't care about this. But in fact, there, so we can look at how people have typically interpreted this. And to do that, we, we have to go all the way back to, to the beginning. So in the book of Genesis, um, we're not going to read the whole book. That would take a long time. But we'll read passages from it. So we know this in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. There are two creation stories of how God made the earth. And we know that out of everything God makes, the human person, man and woman, is the crown of creation. It's the high point. And, um, and he gives to the man and the woman everything. Uh, before the woman is made, God gives a, a, a sort of declaration to the man. He says, everything here I give to you for food. Every plant yielding seed I give to you. I give to you the earth to cultivate it, to, to have dominion over everything. And then he says, everything here is yours, except don't eat from this one tree, right? And then from there, he creates the woman. And then in Genesis chapter three, we see this serpent come onto the scene, uh, an ancient serpent. It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. And then from there, he engages uh, the woman in a conversation basically convincing the woman that God doesn't really care about the human person, convincing the woman that God is trying to limit the human person and hold them back and institute all these rules that don't mean anything. And so the woman allows herself to be deceived and she goes ahead and she eats from the tree of which they're not supposed to eat. And when she eats from the tree, right, then sin is unleashed into the world. And then God comes into the garden and, and later on in Genesis 3, and he acknowledges the sin that has taken place. And God addresses the man, right, because the man also ate from the tree. Uh, he addresses the man and, and he says, what have you done? What does the man do? He says, the woman, the woman that you put here with me right? You gave her to me. She gave me this food. And then he says to the woman, like, what's the deal? 
And she says, the serpent, the serpent that you created, he did this. So then what happens? Then God addresses the serpent, beginning in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Then he says this, and this is the key here. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right, so there's, there's even more that could be explained here, but for now, we can say that the woman, who at this point has not been given a name yet, the woman, God says, will be at enmity, will be at war with the serpent. And her seed, right, her offspring, will also be at war with the serpent. And her offspring, Scripture says, will bruise, or other translations say, will crush your head while you bite at his heel. Right, so when, when Jesus is referring to Mary as woman, he's referring back to Genesis chapter 3 as though saying... She is the fulfillment of what God has said here. That the woman will be at war against the serpent and that her offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. Right? So Jesus isn't actually critiquing or rebuking or being bitter with his mother, but in fact, he's revealing to her, he's revealing to the people at the wedding, he's revealing to us in the word, that she has a role that is so incredibly important, right? Because it's her offspring and no one else's. It's her offspring that goes to war and crushes the head of the serpent. This is what he's referring to. Now, how can, how can we know this? We can know this because we know who Jesus is, right? We, we know in, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes to Mary, and tells her that she's going to conceive and bear a son in her womb. And Mary says, how can this be? And, and like, how am I worthy for this? And the angel says this, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary, being, being a good Jewish gal, would have understood that the angel here was revealing to her this incredible, incredible gift, which we, of course, know to be the Christmas story, right? Like, like that Jesus isn't just some ordinary child, but that, in fact, he is the Son of God himself. And Mary would have understood that, that the angel was saying that the child Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament, that everything God promised uh, of this, this offspring, this descendant of David, who will reign on the throne of David forever, right? This is, this is who her son is going to be. And that her son is coming to earth, not just to be with us, but that her son is, go is coming to earth to go to war against the enemy of our race. Her son is coming to earth to crush the head of the serpent. 
Right? So there's a lot wrapped up in this one word, woman, when Jesus is speaking to Mary. And what's more, there's, there's even more to it because we, we also know this, that after Jesus was born, 40 days later, after a period of purification, uh, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple for his presentation, celebrated every year on February 2nd, which is 40 days after Christmas. Uh, and they, when they come into the temple, they meet this man, Simeon. Simeon himself has received a promise from the Lord that he would not die until he has seen salvation come for his people. In other words, he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah come for the people of Israel. And so Simeon is an old man and he's been waiting. You can imagine every uh, couple that brings their child into the temple for the presentation, for the dedication to the Lord. You can imagine him looking and just like, is this the one? Is this the one? And then Mary and Joseph come in and they're carrying Jesus and it's like immediately the lights go on for him. And he sees clearly that this child, this baby Jesus, is the one who's been promised. And so he, he uh, lists off this really uh, profound and beautiful uh, prophecy, we could say, or this, this uh, canticle, this song. He says, Lord, now let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Right, Simeon is able to see clearly who Jesus is. And as he sees clearly who Jesus is, Mary and Joseph, of course, are right there hearing him make this declaration. Mary and Joseph, who already know who Jesus is, but now it's like this is a confirmation of who they know their son to be. But then he says this to Mary. He says, uh, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon, in his declaration, in his, we could say, prophecy to Mary here, is saying that this child, the Messiah, not everyone is going to accept him as the Messiah. Some will, absolutely, and they will be elevated to have even a higher dignity once they, once they receive the Messiah into their life. But some, it says, right, it, uh, is set for the fall of many and will be a sign that is spoken against. In other words, he's prophesying about what? Eventually, the, re the rejection of Jesus, Mary's son. And so he's saying, when you, son, when you see your son rejected, it'll be like a sword piercing your soul with sorrow. So when Mary comes to Jesus in the Gospel of John, who up to this point has not performed any miracles, up to this point he seems to be just any other man. When she asks Jesus to perform this first miracle, Jesus knows that once he begins to reveal himself to the world, performing miracles and mighty signs and beginning to preach and teach and drive out demons, he knows that when, when he begins this ministry of going to war ultimately against evil, that it's gonna end up with his rejection. And so he knows that when Mary comes to him and so he says, woman, Right? Remember, the prophecy in Genesis is not just that the son will crush the serpent's head, but it's also that the serpent is going to bite at his heels. And so he's, it's as though he's reminding Mary, you know where this is going to lead. You know that this is going to lead to a sword piercing your own soul because I would be rejected. 
And so then when Mary's response is to look at the uh, servants and say, do whatever he tells you, she knows that in responding to this, that she is ultimately launching Jesus into his ministry that will result in his rejection and in his death. That's like, this passage is so rich and so deep and so profound that Jesus Christ is beginning his ministry to undo everything that Adam and Eve did at the fall, at the first rebellion against God. In fact, St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans and 1 Corinthians, he talks about Jesus as a new Adam. He says, just as in the old Adam all died, so now in Christ, the new Adam, all may have life. Jesus undoes everything that was caused by the fall by, by going to war against the enemy of our race and setting us free and saving us. But just as, right, just as when Adam, right, when he sinned, he had a woman there participating with him, Eve. So too, when Jesus undoes all of that, he now is, is revealed to have a woman with him participating and launching him into this ministry, such that Mary is oftentimes called the new Eve, right? If Jesus is the new Adam, so Mary is the new Eve, right? So again, it's not that Jesus is belittling his mother or that he's, he's uh, bickering with her, but instead he's revealing to her, he's revealing to the wedding guests, he's revealing to us who read this 2,000 years later, just how important and significant she is, right? It's no wonder that we as Catholic Christians go out of our way to pay her such honor, Right? Certainly, we know she's not Jesus. We know that she's not God. But yet, she's the mother of God, right? And, and being the mother of God, she being the new Eve, right? She participates and launches Jesus into everything that he does to, to bring the world back into the possession of the Father. It's an incredible honor for her, an incredible way for us to honor her is to honor her just as Jesus honors her. Now, the last point is, is this, that right, Mary launches him. She, she pushes Jesus uh, into his ministry. And yet, as Jesus goes into his ministry, right, it would be foolish of us to just ignore the servants. What, is, what does she say to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. So then Jesus tells them what to do. Put water in these things, and they fill them to the brim. Right? What is this a sign of? It's a sign that you and I, servants of Jesus, we have to participate in this. Right? Imagine if the servants didn't, like, they received the command of Jesus and they just said, no, nah, I'm not going to put water in. That's a stupid command. Right? Then Jesus probably could have still done a miracle. He could have done whatever he wanted. But as it is, he chose to place a need on them to participate. And so for us, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus has chosen you and me to participate in his life-saving mission for the world. He has chosen us and commanded us to go into the world to bear fruit for his kingdom. 
And he has given us gifts. He's given us tools that each one of us has, right? St. Paul talks about this in our second reading about how the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for some benefit. Another translation can say, for the common good. That is to say that God has blessed each one of us individually with different gifts that are meant to be used by you and only you so that you can go into the world and expand the reign of Jesus Christ over the world as king. Whatever gift it is, and we have different gifts, but the point is that we need to find out what those gifts are and we need to come to Jesus and say, I'm just, I'm here, to, I'm here to be a part of it. I know, Jesus, that on my own, I can't do anything, but I know with your grace, right, you can perform a miracle through what I bring to the table. Just as the servants brought water and by your grace, you changed it into wine, so too I'm going to bring the water of my limitedness. I'm going to bring the water of my poverty. I'm going to bring the water of whatever, I, whatever it is that you've made me to do. And I know that when I do that thing, that you're going to change it into wine. And not just any wine, but the best possible wine. Brothers and sisters, we have to participate in this. The life-saving mission of Jesus Christ, begun to be launched by Mary, the new Eve, is a mission that ultimately leads to Jesus' rejection. But when you and I participate in that mission, right, his rejection ultimately leads to the resurrection. It leads to new life. And when you and I participate in this, acknowledging that Jesus Christ is our head and our Savior, we too can bring new life into the world so that more and more people can come to know that Jesus isn't just some ordinary man, but that he's come to save everyone who's willing to follow.